Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm in a mood. I'm just, I'm in a, it's been a long ass day. So I'm pretty sure I got on this call with Rihanna to talk about everything soccer related. And I'm just in such a bitchy mood. And Rihanna is like the comforting boyfriend that doesn't really say anything, that just nods along and uh, still does a good job of it. Um, was that me? So, yeah, yeah, that's you. That's you. That's thank that's you. my way of saying thank you. I will, I'll never actually say the words thank you. I'll just uh, <laughs> talk about your accomplishments. But anyway, <laughs> neither here nor there. I uh, I've just had a long day, and in some ways, talking about football is very therapeutic. Seeing Rian is like fine. So <laughs> no, it's e- equally as therapeutic. I uh, I miss my friend Rian. I didn't get a chance to see him this weekend. He had other priorities, which I I have to respect. Um, yeah, I wasn't even in the state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, don't don't be acting like you were just like across the river, like just barely <laughs> cross state lines. It sound like you're in Indiana. No, I I reject that entirely. But um, yes, of course, Rian had some other things to take care of, spending time with uh, with loved ones. And uh, meanwhile, what did I? I don't. What, I don't even remember what I did. Yeah, this what weekend. did you get up to? I have to think about it now. I went. Oh, you know what I did. I had a really fun Friday night. I forgot to tell you about this. I went to laser tag on Friday night. Oh, wow. I played laser tag in Brooklyn and it was so adolescent, but so fun. Like, I can't tell you how much I like, got all these um, deja vu moments from like basically middle school when like, you go do stuff uh, yeah. like that. Like, yeah. And I one was like, every three middle school uh, yeah. sixth grade parties. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. I remember I did my fifth grade birthday party. I did it at go karting. That's what I did. And I remember that. Yeah. Well, I remember that. My you parents invited everybody. I got, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like whiplash. That yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. I remember it. It was super fun, though. So, like, honestly, as an adult, I want to do more stuff like laser go karting. Yeah. And go karting. Yeah, we should definitely find a goat, find some go karting to do this summer. That would be yeah. awesome. Yeah, good summer and spring activities to get out yeah. to. Oh my god, yeah, that's so true. So that was that was my Friday. Um, the rest of the weekend, I think most of Saturday, I did, I had a me day. Just walked around the city, did some reading, some light light vibing, if you will. I believe that's the phrase. Um, did you get then, to go outside on uh on Sunday? It was on Sunday. Beautiful. Sunday, I did actually. I did. I walked around Soho for a while, and like I didn't do any shopping because I don't have that money but like i i walked around at least and it was super fun and got a chance to obviously watch all the games all the important ones and uh yeah the more that i think about it i'm getting happier and happier as i think about uh my weekend so but <laughs> rian i i guess chelsea played fine we do we even have to, we don't have to talk about them they no I, they yeah. just turned burnley the, inside out so yeah the, the only thing the only thing from that game really quickly was honestly pretty embarrassing um was the moment of silence in the beginning of the game for ukraine yeah was interrupted by chelsea fans chanting roman abramovich's name which like you 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 can go back to our last episode to hear my my thoughts on um this the idolization um the kind of the idolization of of roman abramovich at least since it's been announced that he's selling the club and um uh, this was the chelsea fans were chanting his name during a, a 
minute of silence that was supposed to be for you the victims of um the war in ukraine and that was really really upsetting again um and and, and even thomas tuchel had to uh, talk about it after the game too and um you know in his own way condemned it too so, yeah. so that that was really that was really sad and, there's actually there's just briefly because i don't want to talk about yeah. this too much more because there's so much else to get to but there's an element i mean we can talk about sports watching all day but there's an element of respect that i really gained for thomas Tuchel throughout this whole process i feel like he's been very 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 classy and honest about this whole kind of mess that's surrounding the club and i feel like he is like best supported his squad where needs be like he hasn't gone into details about like i feel this way or that way or people should think this way or that way He's been very much like what's happening is bad. We should acknowledge that it's bad. This squad still has goals and things to focus on at the same time. Like both can be true. And also like, I think he said, I, I'm forgetting the quote or I may be paraphrasing correctly, but he said something along the lines of like, I'm not a politician. You are asking a politician's questions to a football manager and like, I don't really know what you want me to say. Um, I've already said all of this is bad. So yeah, I was like, all right, I mean, fair play. Yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> I, I do think, yeah, very lucky that this is a, the club's manager at this time, because as someone has made, um, I forget which podcast I'm listening to, but you know, imagine if this was Mourinho as a coach during this time. <laughs> and not to say that Mourinho would have, in pro Russia or anything like that, but this just would have been nastier. No, it would have been right. You would have had to give massive raises to your Chelsea's PR team during that. Yeah. So yeah, I, th- I think the club's um is very lucky to have Thomas Tuchel in, in in more ways than one. So for sure. Well, enough of that. Enough of that. Let's let's move well, beyond the Chelsea. We can stuff. touch briefly on the Burnley side of this later, but, no, but... I mean, even then, uh, fine, we can. But <laughs> well, let's talk about another team who is also very grateful to have a manager of such stature. Um, of course, I'm referring to Frank. Le- no, I'm not. I would never do oh, that. But no, no, low blow. No. All right, fine. We're not uh, going to go down that path. Brian, let's talk about it's masochism the- for me. <laughs> if I watch any of these Everton games, it's the PTSD is crazy. But no, let's 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 talk about the Derby. Yeah, let's talk about the Manchester Derby, the big game of the weekend, of course, a game. I'm finally getting my games like schedule back on track. <laughs> like I'm no longer forgetting yeah. when games are. I hope you like, like it. I hope yeah. you like it because Thursday we've got more Premier League games. I know. I know. My, <laughs> my brain is all screwed up because I have. We have the Champions League Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we have Barcelona playing the Europa League on Thursday. And we also have Premier League on Thursday. And then we also have Manchester United playing Spurs this weekend. So, like, there's a lot going on. Let me break it down very, very quickly. TLDR for the Derby. Manchester City uh, played well for about 89 minutes. United played well for about one. And... um yeah, I mean, we can move on to the next topic if you want, because there wasn't much else. Rian, like, there's a lot that we can talk about with City in this performance, because I think it was utterly dominant, right? You you put it in the notes, you've tweeted about it, I've talked about it. But the the thing that really gets me with this is I don't think City played out of their minds well. I, I mean, I, I may be on an island and thinking that, but I didn't think that everything was really crisp in their passing. I thought 
they found it very easy to get behind United. I think that's more of a reflection of United's defensive woes than it is City's strength. I also thought that at the same time, like, United didn't play in this game. I don't even know how else to think about it, but this is not... Okay, so this team is not that different from the team that lost 6-1, right? Like, it's not that different in the sense that like the the personnel is very different obviously but like the result was the same at least in that game which was what i think 11 years ago in that game i could say there were some changes you're going all the way back to yeah to 20 what was that 2012 2011 2011 like in 2011 2012 season because someone brought it up at least when i was something i was reading this weekend it felt like United just didn't actually play a game. Like they were there and they were like, wow, this is, it's incredible to play like Premier League football. Like, it's just like a spectacle of their own. Like they're caught up <laughs> they in were, the moment. Yeah. Yeah. They were literally spectators. That second they were, half. they were quite literally. Spectators. I mean, they were, they were, I mean, might as well had been spectators for that. What was it? That 15 minute stretch, mm-hmm. 15 to 17 minutes. I think it was um, in the, close to the end of the second half of the game where Manchester city for that span had 92% of possession. To to give you, it just, I want to give you some context around that. The last time I saw a figure North of 90% in any game that I can remember is when Barcelona played Celtic in the champions league about like 10 years ago, lost the game (laughs) one nil and still had 90 something percent possession. Wow. That that's what a throwback. I remember that game too. That that was, that was in cell or in uh, Scotland too. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But for, I thought like the first half could have like United would have felt okay about that first half right like they they pressed decently well they at least made it difficult for city to play through them right but second half adjustments were made obviously from city's side um i thought it was really interesting Um, can we talk about those adjustments like what what in those adjustments stood out to you because i feel like i was pleasantly surprised with um god forbid you take off one player and you bring on Gundogan but you know <laughs> no Gundogan was great when he came on i was i was impressed by by Grealish honestly um who i think has at a lot of times this season had some difficulties like adjusting to the way that city play right like he played at villa and a lot of it was a lot of the play was going through him and i i think a lot of the stuff that he did at villa where he kind of held the ball and and kind of waited for players to overlap and 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 um tried to create everything on his own. I felt like this weekend he was much quicker with the ball. And that was something that was that's a little scary to think about what that could look like in a few months or even next season, right? Because we know there's always this for whatever reason, not whatever reason, because how Coriolis system is just difficult to understand if you're if you're not coming from a Barcelona possession type system right but um I, he's definitely seemed like he's starting to adjust and I thought that Sunday was really good for him I was gonna say the movement of him in the second half 
to recognize when to move off of that left wing and come inside and find space. I thought it was really, really impressive and, and like shows that he's I th- starting to understand how to play in this team and um, and wasn't holding the ball nearly as much. I thought too. He, he was combining really well with uh, with Silva, who again was like almost a ten out of ten, like he, as he's been most of this season. Um, but he was combining really well with Silva and and I thought uh, Raul Cancelo too, where as they just kind of completely ravaged Aaron Juan Basaka's side of the pitch. <laughs> yeah, that I mean overall was not pretty, but you make a couple of really good points. Jack Grealish to me was also a standout performance because of exactly what you mentioned. Like you basically took the words out of my mouth. The fact that he knew and understood when to move inside versus out, it helped players like Phil Foden, right? And whenever he didn't really combine too much with Kevin De Bruyne, but basically the interchange between him and Bernardo Silva, I thought was excellent. Same with Phil Foden. And he created the right amount of space. Like even when he didn't have the ball, you notice that one of the things I noticed, especially in the second half, is that there were these massive gaps in between United's midfield line. Like, enough for Rodri to say, like, okay, I'll just pass it right through to Kevin De Bruyne. Like, the right in front. Splits like, the amount of splits were insane. <laughs> yeah, and I think a large part of that is down to the way that Grealish positions himself and, and how Pep set up the team. I was scared initially when I saw he was starting, honestly, because Raheem Sterling has had one of his better seasons in in the last three to four years at city. So I thought it was actually pretty surprising that Pep pulled a fast one. I mean, it's not surprising that he pulled a fast one. It's just surprising that he did this game. Yeah, Um, I agree. And and I was pleasantly surprised to see that it worked out really, really well. And maybe Jack Grealish is really coming into his own and coming into form um, in this team. But there is another player that I have to kind of give a shout out to that continues to just like wow me um actually two i'll say the first one i wanted to mention was Jao cancelo because if he had scored that scissor kick that oh my god was like really forced into saving <laughs> i probably would have lost my mind that was just so beautifully hit <laughs> yeah i i was i was in the living room living room of my of my girlfriend's house when i saw him try that and i the rest i was the only person on the couch watching the game while while like dinner or lunch and stuff was being made and i like yelped audibly and i and and i was embarrassed for a second (laughs) how much i yelped when he tried that that um scissor kick pretty much Uh, by that point in the game they were toying with them right like it was just like fuck it i'll try it like like we're gonna get the ball that was back the exact immediately. Attitude. Yeah, like, they're gonna, like, they were never afraid to give the ball up because, I mean, this is a testament to their to their system and how well um, the team is coached. But every time they gave the ball up, they knew they were getting it back within ten to fifteen seconds, right? Especially in that second half. Um, and yeah, it was. I mean, it was interesting, not surprising how much they targeted Aaron Juan Basaka and really tried to make sure that every united possession funneled to the to that side of the pitch like you it's it's always great to be good at high pressing of course but the coordination of how they were really trying to force the ball to that side of the pitch in their in their press um was impressive and very and 
very damning, I think, for Farron Juan Basaka. Um, I think I think it was honestly. I, I don't know what you even do in that situation if you're. If you're I mean, also terrifying. Like, yeah, I yeah. Mean, that is. He had three to four players running at him every time he touched the ball. That that is terrifying. And I think a big part of that too is the fact that think about who his cover is. Who's his cover, Rian? His first name starts with <laughs> S and ends with Kot Matamane. Like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought you were gonna say Maguire too, because oh, Maguire I think is on his side. <laughs> Maguire is also on his side, but like, as even an outlet pass to either of those players, yeah, you're yeah. gonna lose the ball like four yeah, times to five the, times out of ten. No, you, you know, you you are absolutely right because you think about in this situation when when you're facing a team like Manchester City or or any team that's very good at high pressing you want to be able to have a player to play it to in the midfield that is comfortable picking it up in, in pressure and turning <laughs> as Ellis is, is doing is literally just twirling his finger. Yeah. Like turning or comfortable having their back to, um, to the attacking goal, right. Being able to pick it up and expecting someone to be on their back when they pick it up and Scott McTominay, nor, I mean, to be fair, nor is Fred comfortable at doing either of those two things. So you're right. United never had an outlet in the midfield. And I've talked about this an infinite amount of times in terms of, you know, their, their, their midfield is the worst of any of the teams. <laughs> is is literally the worst of any of the teams contending for a championship. What a, what a just rash way of calling out a team that, has some of the highest played players in the world and just calling yeah. them the worst in the in a vacuum. <laughs> no analysis. In a vacuum, vibes. I think they're all. I think most of them are useful players. I think they're all useful players. But um, you play any of those two players in a double pivot, and you're just asking for trouble, which maybe maybe brings a different point up of of the Rangit part of this where. Well, wait, wait, wait. Before we get into that, because yeah. there's, I think there's something in the commentary that you can make and have on Ralph Ragnick. But I also think about the fact that none of his personnel has changed since Ole right. left. It's it's the same exact squad. But that's, I, I and and I get, I I sympathize that completely too, right? Like I, I it was always kind of he's always had kind of one arm time hide tied behind his back because of the midfield that is there and and just the tough fit that a lot of their attackers are together right but i just wonder is there is there also a point to play continually playing a system that doesn't really accentuate um any of the limited strengths that his midfield has i mean i just it's it's really difficult to play a double pivot with any of the players that he has it's it's really difficult to um to do that and and they still persist to do it so that's not partly on him partly on the players but um who knows it's it looks united are going to be the same team that they have been this entire season for the rest of the season so we could go blue in the face talking about them um but a much more fun question that I have for Elias that I texted him about on Sunday after this game. This city team 
in so many ways like the Barcelona, the Pep Barcelona teams, but in in a lot of a lot of ways very different too. And just in the personnel, in terms of you know just not having Lionel Messi up at the front, up top, <laughs> and, but then but like outside of that, like not having. You think about the level of finishers that were on those Barcelona teams too, right? Samuel Eto'o, Thierry Henry, Lionel Messi, David Villa, Pedro, who underrated as 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 I saw from Chelsea from his time at Chelsea, underrated how good of a finisher, just pure finisher, Pedro is. Um, but taking away those aspects, this City team is like is is like I don't even know like like such such Pep Guardiola exact kind of philosophy that he would want at any of his teams um like the fact that they have not had a recognized striker the entire season and even for most of last season with Aguero out it was like Pep's wet dream of not having to play with a recognized striker and everyone's just completely fluid. So it kind of brought me to this question that I have for Elias. If you had to pick one player from this city team that you think would seamlessly fit into the Barcelona teams, the 20, 2009 to 2012 teams under Pep Guardiola, who do you think would be a perfect fit into the starting 11 not just not just as a player coming off the bench but like a starting 11 player yeah so I I've I've thought about this and when Rian sent this question to me I thought about it even more and I realized that in your question it's important to point out you're not necessarily asking who you would replace in the team because I think that's a very different question like if you're asking me who would I replace Chavi, Iniesta, Messi with like my answer is going to be like stop, <laughs> like that's yeah, not that's yeah a yeah question. I would I wouldn't go that yeah exactly. right I wouldn't right. go that far yeah so my answer is not a reflection of who I would replace in this team but to answer who would seamlessly fit I think there's a very very prominent answer and my answer to that question is Bernardo Silva I think that Bernardo Silva over the last three years has demonstrated that he has everything that Pep looks for in a midfielder. He is so tactically astute in multiple positions and very, very good at hanging on to the ball, playing it into space. And more importantly, probably the most important thing in a Pep side, creating space for other people. Those three qualities that Bernardo Silva, that, and even in this past game, this past weekend exhibited so, so well, I think, confirm the fact that he is probably the number one player that I wish I think I've said this before Barcelona went after like years ago (laughs) like he is he is that guy and I think Pep loves having him in the side I I mean obviously I don't know what's gonna happen with him over the summer like there's talks that he very well might leave City um but Bernardo Silva like just imagine playing for Barcelona in like 2011 like he would have basically fit in the same form that he is now, like maybe not produced as much as Iniesta or anything like that, but like in terms of style of play, like it would have been like trading an apple for a slightly younger apple. 
<laughs> yeah and, and honestly when i sent you this question i so badly wanted to I, I first had like phil foden in my mind i so badly wanted to say foden and then i thought about it for another 15 20 minutes and i was like I just can't keep taking my mind away from Bernardo Silva. Like I can't keep taking my mind away from just like pure seamless fit. Like if I told you, if we were like, we were like 30 years from now and, and we had no idea of, of who played on any of these teams. And I just told you like, Oh yeah, Bernardo Silva played on that Barca team. And you'd be like, yeah, Oh yeah. Yeah. You're right. He did play on this. He's like, I could have fooled you to think that he plays like a nice, team. a nice episode of revisionist history. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like he's the player. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that there because I tried to think about the other players I, and I was like, well, De Bruyne, but like, honestly, De Bruyne is so much no, of a, no. a one of one. Like he's mm-hmm. such a unique player that like, I just, he would have like, and I guess Messi, in his in his own way, was was that own was a unique player. But Belino Messi had literally grown up in the Barcelona system, so that that yeah. was just like he was always going to fit into that. But yeah, like I was, I, I want to say De Bruyne as well. But like like I said, unique player, Cancelo also totally unique. Can, player. Cancelo was actually my second choice. If mm. if I had to, if you had asked me who would I replace, I would have said potentially Abidal for Cancelo. Oh, that see, would have been my potential answer. But yeah. again, different question. Yeah, yeah, but, but um, no. So I I think it just again the testament to Bernardo Silva's season where he's been amazing. Like it's it's he will definitely be in my team of the year by when we whenever we have that episode. Um, but yeah. Like, think how close he was to going to Atletico Madrid this this summer. Like, yeah, I I, I I hesitate to say, it, but like their season would have been totally different if Bernardo Silva was was on Atletico Madrid. Like, oh, without a doubt, completely different, without completely different season. Um, but yeah, look, to move on from this game, um, this game was great because City won. Liverpool also won over the weekend, so we keep the title race going. It always was. Hey, it always was. Some, yeah. some said otherwise, but it, yeah, no that's to me. That's so. <laughs> we, we keep it going. We just look. Everyone just wants us to go into that game in April and the lead to be maybe at most like four points or something like that. Yeah. Right. Like that's, we, we all want that game to mean something, especially because I need to double check, but is that, that game's in Manchester. So. Yep. We just want that game to mean something. And the way these two, even though I thought Liverpool got a little lucky over the weekend um, with West Ham, um, but they still came out with the win, the way the Liverpool play. They are full tilt on the attack right now. And they're just they're just betting that they're gonna score more than you. And and nine times out of ten they will. So look that we just want to get to that game with it still being a race. Um and I and knocking on wood, I feel confident that a month from now it will be. So So he says. <laughs> moving on to the rest of the top four. Um you mean, oh, we talk you mean about? the team that is very solidified in the yeah, top four? Yeah, The team the favorite. that we picked two weeks or a week ago, I forget what it was, to really finish in the top four, and they are continually proving us right. 
um, Arsenal have Arsenal are back in some ways. They really are. Like, if you think about it, Wenger Ball was from, on display this weekend. Wenger, yeah, yeah. But here's the difference, right? He, Wenger Ball with much higher tempo, much higher pace, um, a level of quickness and freshness that we hadn't seen in maybe six years, something like that. This time last year, Arsenal were in ninth place. That's how far they've come. Like they are five spots in the Premier League is is wildly significant. And that I think is a large testament to the commitment the players have made to Arteta and the improvements that Arteta has made as a manager as he continues to grow into the role. And there is, of course, one very prominent player that we have to talk about that is basically, I feel like, still is not talked about enough. I don't know about you, but I feel like there's always a lot of attention and focus on Bakayo Saka, Alexander Lacazette, and even in some ways Martinelli. But I almost feel like we don't talk about Odegaard enough. Weirdly, like he is the linchpin to this team, but I feel like we have to have a conversation about if Martin Odegaard is, should I say it? Do I jinx it? Is Martin Odegaard the next Mesut Ozil? Mesut Ozil 2.0? Is he? Oh, man, I love him. I love <laughs> watching him play. Dude, it's it's uh, just to say on him, uh, I love the Ozil 2.0 because I'm not even necessarily, I wouldn't say that necessarily he's better than Mesut Ozil. I, 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 I'm not going to say anything like that because he is so young and there's so much of his career to go. And anyone watch a Mesut Ozil like highlight compilation like the 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 things that that man could do like in on a counterattack and just like with the ball it, it was a you know another level but I only said Ozil, Ozil 2.0 because Odegaard is so much of a modern more modern way of playing um in that number He's not just got the almost perfect touch, the elegance of every time he touches the ball. It looks so fucking effortless. It's amazing. It's amazing to watch. But he also is so good at the counter-pressing, at still doing the hard work for the team, like the defensive side of the team, which was always kind of the the criticism thrown at Mesut Ozil, like even at his, at his best. Right. But, you know, in those Madrid years, he had a lot of protection around him. They didn't need to do it so much because of the players that were around um, or on Madrid that were willing to do all the dirty work for him. And that was kind of like the, the big thing against him. Once he came to the Premier League, it was, that was a difficult part, but back to Odegaard, like he's, he is their number 10. Like that, like the way the team plays, so much that goes through him um he's seventh in the league in terms of shot creating actions per 90 he's ninth in terms of key passes which is again are like shot assists and then most importantly he's sixth in the league in terms of passes completed into the penalty area he's he is the guy for us in terms of just chance creation and he just fits so seamlessly with those players as well. When you look at 
I mean, the the one two on that first goal that he scored, where he like back heels the return pass to Saka, and then the most important thing is that he continues the run, right? Like, he doesn't stop and just you know watch it happen, right? He continues the run into the box, and then he applies like a really really deft finish, and. I could watch him play soccer for like for hours. It's actually, it's the touches, the speed of thought. And that's something that I'll put to the entire team. I know it's just, I know that it's just Watford, quote unquote. But we've seen it for, what, two months now? Like the, this team, as they've gotten on a run together and played every week together, which it, which we, we also touched on, like that's that's been the biggest win for Arteta I think is that they have not played in Europe this season um, but the way that this team moves the ball so quickly like every pass is it's it's like it's two touches and the ball's out and when you think about the coach that Mikel Arteta coached under <laughs> and and um for anyone who has not seen this documentary, it's on, I think it's all on Netflix, but the take the ball, pass the ball. Oh, oh, I thought you were going to say Amazon prime. Oh yes. Yeah. But the, but the, the take the ball, pass the ball. If anyone has not watched that documentary yet on Netflix, I highly, highly, highly recommend, but, but it's all the same principles. Every player that, that, um, that touches the ball in Arsenal, like they're, they're looking for that next pass right now and quickly. And, and, um, I just got to give love to, to Martin Odegaard. Elias. And I know Elias is, is sitting there with a pretty, pretty smug, smug smile. And he's not showing right now because he's eating, but smug smile in his, um, <laughs> in his head uh, that he's, he's been on this with, with Odegaard the, the entire time and uh, everyone else is catching up. But it's, it's really a joy to watch him play soccer. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, thank you for at least pointing out that I was uh, very early to this this show years early i was talking about odegaard three years ago actually um no i am not bitter <laughs> it's just interesting to me that i feel like a lot of people have a recency bias with this in in the sense that last year i think the worst thing that happened to martin odegaard is basically the continuation longevity of luka modric that's the worst thing that happened to him it led to two things happening. One, he came back from Real Sociedad thinking that he would become a starter in this Real Madrid team because Luka Modric was 35 at the time, which is pure, pretty natural to think he might be starting to tail off. <laughs> pretty fair. Pretty fair. And again, I get the, the, the decision. I really wish we saw him an extra year at La Real, but it didn't happen. And then the second thing, as a result of Luka Modric saying, no, 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 I've still got this. Um, he was then shipped out of Real Madrid with a lot of uncertainty. But again, at, his, at his core, like talent always shines through and he is unbelievably talented. Like he is the reason Real Sociedad almost made top four two years ago. And it, you have to give him a lot of credit. He is playing out of his mind and he is what? I don't, I don't even remember how old he is now. Maybe 20? 23 he's 23 i think he's 23 yeah so 23 he is still very young getting into kind of not very young anymore territory but man he is a joy to watch he is 
a real joy to watch. And I'm glad Rian read out the statistics so I don't have to. Because if you don't think that uh, Martin Odegaard is going to be the future of this Arsenal team, bar wild circumstances, you are sorely mistaken. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's like such a great fit. It's such a great fit in the, in terms of the profile of players that are playing at Arsenal right now. We talked a bit about how Lacazette's role has become a really good fit for Saka and Martinelli because those guys are just ready to run in behind defenses at every second, every chance they get. Um, but it's also been really helpful, I think, for for Odegaard, right? Like it's for Lacazette to be that guy who's really ready to link play and combine with him and um and open up that space for Martinelli and Saka for Martin Odegaard to play those passes into those players and I think also been really really interesting wrinkle is how far forward Granite Xhaka has been getting in this team it's not so much of like that double pivot on the field but you know (laughs) but but that, yes, that's always a slight surprise to some of us, but but he he has found a role in this team much different than the one that he's been playing in for almost the entirety of his Arsenal career, where he's now getting much more forward. He's not being exposed when the ball turns over, where he's like one of the last lines of defense, right? And, and we're seeing Thomas Partey be that guy now more. And Thomas Partey has really excelled, I think, the last few weeks in that more also, holding. Also, just generally play. speaking, Thomas Partey is now playing in his natural position and is also yes, a lot smarter of a player than Granit Xhaka is. So it's it's literally like you're you're helping the boast of Beth Ward. The, getting the best of both worlds. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. And and it's it's helped the team immensely like again that that Grand Jacques is not the guy to make those that has to make that critical decision in transition right and um you're seeing less of the yellow cards from him and you're seeing again him getting more involved in the forward play and and I think that that's more of a temporary solution than anything else honestly I I'm not sure if that's Smith Rose position going forward because I, you you could find yourself with some balance problems if you have both him and Odegaard getting so advanced and and only Partey back there. But I'll be interested to see like next season. Do they bring in a midfielder? Is that maybe Lakonga's position going forward? Who knows? But um, all in all, this Arsenal team looks really, really comfortable, and and they look really comfortable in their style of play. They know exactly the type of team that they are right now. Um, and look, they're still the favorites right now for finishing fourth because they have those games in hand and they got points on the board as well. They're, they're ahead of teams with games in hand and they have, they they have three games in hand. It's not like, that's, uh, if you think about getting, let's call it maybe six points, seven points from those three games. Yeah. They're way out of distance. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I think we're about to get a the f- big test, a big test of, uh, from this team. Um, if you look at their next, I want to say six or seven games, um, 
they've got Leicester City at home, which granted, like Leicester have been totally up and down this season, but that's still a talented team. Um, even if I, even if you'd expect Arsenal to still be good enough to get a win there, but they've got Leicester at home. They've got Liverpool at home, which I'm really excited about because especially considering that game that the first time these teams played this season, it was, it was a very, it felt like a completely different Arsenal team. It was like, it was like almost like they were playing their youth players against them because it was so, it was such a mismatch of boys against men. I expect this to be completely different. I expect this to be, to be a really competitive game from Arsenal's side. Um, But anyway, they have Liverpool, then they're away to Aston Villa, away to a Crystal Palace team that is really tough to beat. And then they're home against Brighton and away against Southampton and then home to Manchester United and then away to West Ham. It's, it's, we're going to learn a lot about this team over the next um, month and a half here. Those are some tough games and they have no other matches in between those games. So they're going to have a lot of time to prepare and uh, you expect, you'll expect to see pretty much the same starting 11 for a lot of those games too. But I know Ellie's, I had, how do you confidence wise with Arsenal going into that schedule? How are you feeling? Honestly, if you had asked me that two months ago, I probably would have had a different answer. I feel like the last, let's call it last month with this team, they have gained so much confidence that they probably otherwise would just not have had like, the last time they lost was, I guess, was it Liverpool in in the cup semifinal? It was Manchester City. Their last that was their last loss and and oh, in, the pre- game, in the Premier League. The Premier League, yes, yes yeah, in yeah. the Premier League. Sorry, yeah, that was their last Premier League loss in a game yeah. that we actually would say they were kind of they were they were lose. very good. They were <laughs> yeah. very good, right? And that yeah. was the beginning of the year. That was January. That was New Year's, the New Year's Day. So we're talking about a two month stretch. Granted, they've had games postponed and whatnot, but a two-month stretch where they have not lost. And they have still played decent sides. Like, they have played Wolves, and they did win. It's like, we're not talking about, I guess, the worst teams in the Premier League yet. Um, But at the same time, like, it's not taking away from your point that this is going to be a very, very very difficult stretch for them. I still think that the gap between fourth and potentially fifth, sixth and seventh with the games that they have in hand is just, it's too large to overcome. I think, especially for the the differences in form. I just can't, I can't get past that. I can't get past that. Um, I will say like, I would, I think there's a higher probability of Arsenal falling off of form and almost kind of regressing in some sense than there is say United coming up and becoming a top four contender all over again. Yeah, I would agree. All right. At least quickly um, on the last part of our notes here is her relegation zone. This past weekend, we saw Burnley lose four nil to Chelsea uh, after. Yeah, I guess, I guess we have to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they came into some good form. They played well the first half against Chelsea, and then within 15 minutes of the second half, it was it was the game was completely away from them. Seriously, um, Watford. We just touched on them. They were like that 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 goal. 
that they scored the Joe Hernandez, uh, the bicycle kick, or it was a scissor kick or whatever. Awesome goal. That game had some great goals. I will give, I will say that about Arsenal's game against Watford. Four <laughs> great, great goals. Um, but Watford are still sitting in 19th after that loss. Norwich, four straight losses. They lost against Brentford as Brentford got a very, very, very much needed win. And um, I, who knows who's safe now? But look, the teams from 17th to 20th right now, which is Everton, Burnley, Watford, and Norwich, all look all look like they could be playing in the championship right now, not even just next <laughs> year. No. <laughs> so that is the situation there. Um, one thing to touch on, Leeds United played against Leicester this past weekend. Jesse Marsh's first game, they lost 1-0, but they, I watched that they, game. They that did not, yeah, that did not look like a 1-0 loss. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that'll be the encouraging part for them. Look, they're still only two points above relegation zone right now, but they look good. And um, very impressed by by what uh, the players and Jesse Marsh were able to put out after four days of training. So um, I, I think on encouraging stuff, encouraging stuff. Obviously, they've got I think they've played Norwich next and Norwich and maybe Burnley next. So they got to get at least four points in those games. And I think they'll be safe. Um, but uh, last thing there is Newcastle, another win. They have not lost in five games. <laughs> they've won that's four actually, of their last that's actually five. very impressive. Four of their last five in, in the league. And, and they Meanwhile, are, what, Leeds have lost all of their last all five? All their last five, yeah. So sprinting away from relegation. Um, a lot of credit to Eddie Howe. And, and uh, look, the dream scenario of them going down with all that money, which would have been hilarious, <laughs> unfortunately, is not going. I don't think it's going to happen. It's so. it's looking less and less like. Yeah. Let's not say that it's it's not yes. going to happen because yeah. you you really you just you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. That's true. That's true. But uh, yeah, we'll see. But but uh, unlike Calvin it. Ridley, I will not put money on it. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, I, I something to think about maybe for next week. If there was one player in the in the Premier League who you would bet is betting against their team, who knows? Oh no! I, oh my goodness! You <laughs> against or for uh, whoever betting? Just Patrick Bamford. That's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my answer. Oh man, um, I'm not I'm not explaining it any further. <laughs> a, question, a question for another day. Um, <laughs> my my vote right now might be Michael Keane on on Everton. <laughs> this is two. This is this is two straight games where I'm wondering how he has made it to this level uh, when he can't sort his feet out. So anyway, um, I think that's it for for the Premier League. Alex. Oh my goodness! What what an episode. 